0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Wow, what a story. Goodness me. It's amazing the the lives of people in this church Uh, and, you know, sometimes you can like look at Across a group of people and, um, you know, you, you're just so unaware of the, the story behind someone, the battles that they've fought and what they've had to go through just to even be in church, to be functioning, to be a mum, you know, and all, all those things. And, um, you know, every time I see like a story like that, it just makes me think, man, I feel like I need to get to know some more people around here. Uh, I need to encounter some more and, and learn from other people how they've walked through, um, you know life journeys like that that are so hard but they still love God and they've seen they've got a son who's willing to honor his mom through all of that I mean what a um, what a wonderful testament to to strength and also to following God and doing life in in his way Uh, my name is Brendan I'm one of the the teaching pastors here from from Suncoast if I haven't met you yet hi nice to meet you um let's shake hands later not right now and take ages um i uh i'm if, for those of you who don't know me yeah i'm married to my wife jasmine i got two little boys I, and i i uh, work full-time i'm a project manager and so i do that and uh, any chance i get the microphone when Jono and chloe um feel generous I, I like to share it's one of my favorite things to to take a topic and to understand uh, what god's word says about it and what we can learn as, as as individuals as family and as a church together uh about about what god is speaking to us and so this series uh, Not according to plan, we wrap it up today uh, and uh, decided to call uh, the sermon today God's plan, God's plan. I'm going to start actually by reading a story. So we'll go a couple of slides in. Uh, this is a, a, a really cool um, story about Jesus. Uh, it comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and I love to just follow along, I'll kind of read through it. There's a few strange things going on, but what I want to do is I want to use this story of Jesus and see what we can learn about God's plan. So, what does this story have to teach us today? So. From the time that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, be raised on the third day. That's a pretty heavy thing to let your friends know. Hey, by the way, I'm going to die soon. But then I'm going, to be, I'm going to raise, that's what he's saying to his disciples, right? So don't, don't gloss over the fact that that's a really heavy thing to say. And this is the first time that they're hearing it, right? Now, we've all heard this, right? If you've been around, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard this. But they hadn't when they were listening. So Peter, so Peter's one of his disciples. He's kind of one of the famous ones of, of his crew, very headstrong. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Whoa, heavy. You know, this is, you know, when someone gets in trouble at school and I was like, Ooh. You know, you can imagine all the disciples when Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. I was like, Oh, whoa. Jeez. Jesus, that's cruel. That's heavy. Um, And we'll, we'll figure that out. But he says, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone decides to come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That last statement is quite a famous scripture. It's gone well beyond beyond the Christian faith to kind of be a a counterpoint in society to understand the nature of soul and the nature of progression in life. But today I, I want us to think about God's plan, what we can learn from this. Now, let me tell you a story. In 1998, 20, more than 20 years ago, can you believe it? 1998 is more than 20 years ago. Uh, the uh, NASA pulled together, a. a, a it was called the, the Mars Climate Orbiter. It was like a satellite, a space probe that would be shot um, from the earth, and it would, be, uh, it would travel for about a year just under all the way to Mars, and the Mars Climate Orbiter, at a cost of about $125 million, uh, would, would, would reach Mars and it would kind of uh, shoot down and start orbiting Mars to, you know, check the climate and be a communication device there and study the surface. So it was a big mission, not, not a massive, about 340 kilo size satellite. I've got a picture of it, actually. Um, I don't know if it got up there in the, in the other slide. Uh, this um, this was, was built in the United States, and it spent about a year heading towards Mars. Uh, and as it got there, as it made its descent towards Mars and into the, uh, to the atmosphere, it starts going, starts hitting Mars. And then eventually, it actually veered off course and towards Mars and disintegrated and, and crashed into Mars against all the, su- the surprise of all the, um, the NASA scientists and engineers who go, Oh, my goodness. What just happened? We spent $125 million years planning, a year waiting for it to get there, and it crashed into Mars right at the point where it was supposed to function. Well, they had a look, and they, uh, they kind of dissected what had gone wrong in the planning, and they found out that there were actually two, aside from the NASA engineers working on this, there were a group called the uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory working as well on this. And both of these agencies, uh, contractors, were working on the same thing together. But the Jet Propulsion Laboratory... Had in their planning, had failed to convert the propulsion figures from imperial to metric, and and rather than pounds and uh, pounds and square inches and so on, and converting to you know kilograms and meters, you know whatever you can imagine, they they failed to convert, and so the calculations were off between the two groups, and so um, as you can imagine. Uh, because the calculations were off, the, the, you know, this is why they got the... See, both groups were on different sets of plans and ended in, in disaster. And as we think about this series, Not According to Plan, one of the, the questions that I want to wrap the series in is, well, whose plan? Whose plan am I on? And this is a question for all of us to think about in our lives. I mean, whose plan are you on? Every decision that you make. I mean, we understand that life is a compounding of our day-to-day decisions. What I do for work, what I eat for breakfast, who I marry, you know, my education, the people I hang out with, where I live. I mean, they're large, small, all these decisions compound. And sometimes, you know, you begin to wonder, well, what is the plan that is guiding all of my decisions? What is governing everything I do to end up where I end up? And what I want to do this one, I want to look at this story and I want to discover, I want to talk about three things, just three, and maybe seven sub points somewhere. So I'm not going to lie, there's a little bit more than three. But there's three main points. and so you don't have to remember the seven, you just got to remember the three. Are three things we can learn from this scripture about God's plan and about what that could mean for your life. So come with me. Let's I just want to from that scripture, you remember this statement. Jesus tells his disciples. So so Jesus' disciples, right? They think that they have been under the Roman occupation at the time. They're an oppressed people. And this man, Jesus, has been doing miracles. He's been speaking fire to everyone, winding up a frenzy. They think he's about to become their political leader. He's going to liberate them. He's going to unite the nation. And they're going to free themselves from the Roman occupation. And so what does Jesus say to them? Guess what? I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. Right? and they're like no no no! whoa wait a second no so you can understand why peter is like far be it from you god this is not going to happen and jesus and jesus says to him get behind me satan now like why okay why does he use the, the term because he's saying you, you've just aligned your thought if you're familiar with the bible there is a passage where jesus is tempted by satan in the wilderness and offers jesus this way of saying hey you can have the kingdom without the cross, right? You can have everything without dying. And Peter actually is mimicking the same temptation and, uh, that, that, that Satan brought to Jesus. So that's really why Jesus is saying, There's not calling him Satan. He's saying, you are saying the same thing that Satan, the enemy, the devil, had said. He says, you're an offense to me. Actually, he actually says, you're a stumbling block to me. Think about that. It's a funnier side. Peter's name is a rock. <laughs> and he says, you're, but right now you're being a stumbling block. Right? It's a funny little wordplay. I think Jesus maybe has a sense of humor right then. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. It seems to me that God has a plan. The famous, famous prayer and the most famous one, Jesus prayed the Lord's prayer. It says, your will be done. There was even a point when Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. That there could be a conflict of plans. But if, if God does have a plan, what is God's plan? What is it like? Maybe sometimes it's like looking at a maths equation. Maybe it seems super. Co- Next slide, please. Next. Maybe it seems super complicated. Maybe it seems totally unknown. Maybe you've even thought about this, and, and you you don't even need to be a Christian to actually think about this, because if if you're not, like, well, this is a good chance to, to learn about it today, right? Like, if you've ever wanted to know what God's plan might be, let me let's talk a little bit about it. Maybe it feels totally hidden to you, like a mystery that needs to be solved. Well, these, I'm, about to, I'm about to embark on my seven sub points, right? I don't have seven per, you know, I've just got seven subpoints, And these are really, really important. Um, number one, God's plan is revealed in the Bible. If you want to know what God's plan is, right, for the world at large, for the church, for your family, for you as an individual... Most of it, dare I say, most of it is revealed in the Bible. There are some great scriptures that you hang it on. You know, Jesus in, uh, sorry, God to uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden, I'll get this right. Um, you know, fill the earth and multiply. Have dominion over the earth. Not domination, have dominion, right? He gives clear guidance to take care of the earth. Right later on, um, God says to His people, He says, "You know, um, what does the Lord require of you?" He says, "But to act with justice, bring good into the earth, love with mercy, be merciful to people, uh, and walk humbly with the Lord your God." When the man a man comes to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, "You need to love uh, God with all your heart, all your mind, and you need to love everyone as yourself." So there are some really, really good ones. Without getting specific. Much of the will of God is completely revealed in the Bible. And if you want to know what God's will is, read the Bible. Read the Bible. The first first way to understand what God's will is, read the Bible. In 2 Timothy, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It Right? is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what God's Scripture is for. Point number two, on that, God equips us to accomplish His will. In Hebrews, it says, Now may the God of peace, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. You know that you have been given everything you need to do God's will. He has put it inside of you. And the gifts that you have are the ones that he has given you so that you may accomplish his plan. Right, That he has given you those things. Number three, often God's will and God's plan happens in seasons. That seems very, very clear to me often you know we tend to be kind of like hey what's my life plan what's my life destiny what's my life calling and i know for me there have been times where i've really wanted to know like this great what is my great life thing i actually haven't found and for and i've talked to a lot of people who are old. i'm not particularly old just yet i've talked to some people who are a lot older than me who've said you know what i've I found that often god's plan happens in seasons Right? and that you may be in a season, like for me right now, I've got little kids, right? I've got a couple of a two-year-old, three-year-old, that the season of having small children is actually very occupying, very draining season. And we only have, just, there's only just a couple of years. If I live 80 years and I have a five-year period where I have little kids or something like that, it's a tiny chunk of life, but how precious. And they're so moldable, so teachable, so fragile at that point to help them grow and learn. And I want to encourage that your season right now, that God has assignments for you in your season. It seems very, very clear to me. Point number four uh, God's plan involves a call to sacrificial love. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Now, just to finish that thought, how did Jesus love us? By dying for us, by giving himself for us. So God's plan. Uh, not only is it, is it revealed in the Bible, are we equipped, it happens in the season, but it is a call to sacrificial love. That's what God's plan is about. Um, and point number five, may involve suffering. This is a kind of an interesting point. And many, many people have often thought that should they come to a point of hardship in life, should there be suffering involved in their life, that it would be an indicator that I've walked out of God's plan. I would not agree with that as I look to the Bible it seems clear to me that people in the Bible were clearly obedient to God and still wound up in, in incredible hardships, even in their obedience. I mean, look what happened to Jesus in his obedience, right? That didn't work out very very well, right? Like, so um, I, I do not think that just because uh, hardship is involved in life that it's necessarily a sign that, that God has taken his hand off your life, that you've walked outside of his will that you're off on a tangent somewhere. Now many of the sufferings we do cause ourselves. If you spend all your money at the pokies and somehow have no money, I don't necessarily gonna say, Oh, that's just God's plan working its way out. You know, we we, we apply wisdom we apply wisdom to that. But many times, even in our obedience Life can involve suffering. Now, there's another side to this coin. I'll get to it in just a second. But I think it's important we recognize that, that not all suffering is necessarily a result of your disobedience, not a result of God punishing you because you've done the wrong thing. Sometimes this can, this can happen. And, and it's connected probably to the next point, that it may not necessarily involve success in the world's eyes. Right? Like, I mean, because what does success, I mean, it probably depends on your age group. If you're 25, it involves a lot of Instagram followers, an awesome career where I get paid to be a gamer full time or something like that, making lots of money. You know, like, that, that's a 25 year old's version of success in the world's eyes, you know. But as it gets later in life, it's having wealth, it's having prominence, it's having significance, right? It's being happy, and all those things that we can stack together. I mean, a career that, that sounds impressive, that other people are impressed by me, right? That's, that's something that we can often... But you know what? I, I, I don't think God's plan always, not always, looks like success as the world sees it. And probably for a, a lot of good reasons when you start to think about that. If you think about that a little bit more, there's probably a lot of good reasons. But this is the final point, point. I want to make this really clear. This is the other side of the coin. That God's plan definitely involves victory, Deuteronomy 20 verse 4, For the the Lord your God is the one who goes with you, who fights for you against your enemies to give you victory. John 16, it says, I have told you these things, Jesus says this, so that you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in 1 John 5, it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. You know even though we suffer hardship even though there are storms even though there are trials even though there are, there are sufferings the bible is clear that god has promised his blessings he promises peace in storms he promises strength in battles he promises healing for wounds he promises hope in anxiety and he promises miracles in hopelessness god does not leave us in our suffering because sometimes this is this is pitted as two sides of a ditch and christians have tended to fall in one or the other either that my whole life is meant to be impoverished suffering and that is God's will that I suffer and then I die and I go to heaven or God's will should be pure rainbows and lollipops and joy and God should pour out his blessing on me and if there's no blessing then I'm not in God's will You know, I I find the most balance here is both of these things are true at the same time, that it may include suffering, but the stronger and weightier promise is that it definitely includes victory, it definitely includes empowerment, it definitely includes His peace and His companionship through all of this, right? And so that, I believe, is probably a pretty good sum of God's plan and how we read about it in the Bible. But you might say, well, I mean, it doesn't sound that good, in some ways right because if you think about it like the plan that i might construct for my life probably has a lot more nice things going on in it it probably involves more money it probably involves more happiness it probably involves more selfishness right the the plan that i construct and so how then how then are we to be content with god's plan how is jesus says to peter get behind me satan and then what does he say to says because you are not mindful of My plan, of God's plan, be mindful of your plan. In Colossians 3, it says, Since then, you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on the things above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not earthly things. I honestly believe the greatest way to be content with God's plan is to allow it to infiltrate your mind daily. By reading God's Word, by praying, by meditating, by gathering with people who believe the same thing as you, by being in church and allowing God's plan to come into your mind, right? So much of what we consume thousands and thousands of times a day, we're being advertised to, right? But they're trying to advertise a certain plan to us, and it's definitely not God's plan. And it's actually not even a plan that's good for us in any way. It's a plan for your life and for my life built on consumerism so that we can consume. And we are continually oppressed over and over again, being told that this is what success, this is what your life should look like. And then sometimes I I think about myself, and the reason I might not be content with God's plan is because today I was advertised to 3,000 times, and then I spent two minutes reading the Bible. What, what is the weighty of... No wonder I can be disappointed in God's plan. No wonder I can be, not be content with what God has called me to do. What God has, God has called the Christian to do because so often it's the quietest plan in my life. And so my encouragement today, how can we be content, is by daily setting your mind on the things of God what does that look like? It probably looks like some prayer time, even five minutes. If that's not something that's in your, in your life, even five minutes of prayer time where you turn off the phone, turn off screens, and just, and maybe just sit before God and just talk to God. It doesn't have to be some crazy, um, you know, crazy scripted prayer, but just sitting before God. And if that's new to you, something I believe in daily doing, and then also having a pattern where you read the Bible every day, finding the word and bringing that into your life so that we can understand not only what God's plan is, but how, how to be content with it. Is that cool? Great. All right, point, point number two. Don't worry, the next two points aren't as long as the first one. We'll be done in like a good two, you know, half an hour, 50 minutes or so. Point number two, God's plan is absolute. Matthew 16, Jesus says to disciples after this, if anyone desires to, to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. But whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I have found that becoming a parent has made me a wonderful, wonderful negotiator. My, negotiating, my negotiation skills have gone through marriage, started with marriage, and then it's gone like the next level with having kids. Um, because I have a great way of making plan, plans collide, right? So my boys might have a plan like hey dad can we go to like a playground i'm like yes i know just the one and it's right next to an awesome coffee shop it's not like the playground that you want to go to but it's the one i want to go to because i feel like a flat white right now and don't pretend we don't do this in marriage hey i've got a great idea why don't we go out tonight like you know all the things that we could do right like that we we like we coalesce plans we have, you have a plan, I have a plan. Let's find a way to kind of make these work together. In fact, let's, and often if you're a really good negotiator, it's mostly just about making your plan work. Like that's the main thing. You want your plan to work. And if somehow there's this Venn diagram and someone else's plan works alongside that, awesome. As long as most of mine is, is coming to pass, right? And think, like, think about that. I mean, like, the, and you've already worked out what the challenge is here, right? About taking God's plan and. Getting my one, like, so what's, you know, because what's my plan look like? Does it look like all those seven things that were listed out? Well, not really. It doesn't really look like sacrificial love. It looks like a flat white or something like that, you know, like it looks different to, to, to that. And how often we take a lesser calling in order to do that because we make our plan built on money, career, happiness, pleasure, you know, consume, so many things that we can build our plans upon. Let me tell you about this. This next guy. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he um he was uh, a preacher in Germany just prior to World War II. He's quite a famous, uh, you know, preacher and minister. Uh, and through that time, Hitler's the Nazi Party were rising to power. Um. He could see what was happening. And he could see um, what was happening to the Jewish people and how they were being treated as second-class citizens. I had been traveling to the United States at this point and been exposed to what was happening with uh, you know, white-on-black racism you know, through the earlier uh, parts of the 20th century as well. And he could see what was happening. And, and, and he was incredibly courageous. He started speaking out. There was even a case where he was on a live radio show and he criticized Hitler and it was cut off mid-air, Right? Um, because of what he said. He had to flee to America. And then after spending about a year there, right in in the the early parts of World War II, um, he said, I have to go home. This is a pivotal time for my country. It's descending into madness. And here I am hiding. I can't hide. I've got to go back. And he went back and he was a voice like speaking, saying, this is wrong. And at that point, the church in Germany was being co-opted by the Nazi party, being told to them, hey, you know, we should be for the getting rid of the Jewish people, right? You know, they were the ones that killed Jesus. And they started getting this horrible theology, trying to build into the church. And, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer started building this other movement, the Confessing Church, which was like, no, we will stand for the true word of God. And he stood against, them. I mean, incredible courage. It's an incredible story that he has. And in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, makes this incredible statement that when Jesus, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's really, it's really heavy, right? Like it's actually hard for me to talk about, you know, it's hard to talk about this. It really is because when it comes to God's plan, Jesus said, those who, who, who lose their life for my sake will what? Find it. Because God's plan is absolute. Do you know that? Do you know what the last thing our world really needs right now? In, in a world that is is is, is distracting itself to stupefaction, right? Let's say that it's, we are becoming stupefied with distraction. We're becoming bored with stimulation, right? We're just being thrown all of these ideas, um, and in a, in a pit of in, in order to fill a pit of meaninglessness. Ultimately, without a God, without a start, without an end, without a purpose, without a destiny, what are we left to do? To distract ourselves into stupidity with every possible thing that we could do. And and don't worry, it's not just the young people, right? In every age of life, we find a new thing. I'm like a kind of young millennial. Right now, it's all about like the block and making your home nice, right? That's the way that like many millennials are are doing it right now in this age, is building a nice home. That's the, the, the great thing to distract ourselves, right? Why? Because often because we have not found a calling worth giving our lives to. And the last thing that our world needs is a calling that is like, hey, you know what? Maybe this plan that God has could help you a little bit. Maybe it's something that you could have on the side. Maybe God will help you a bit in your journey, right? Not only is that a lie, because that's not what God ever came to have, it's the last thing that our world actually needs. Our world needs a call worth dying for, worth giving their whole lives for, something that is going to infiltrate every corner and say, it's my way or the highway. It really is. And it would be a disservice to describe the Christian calling in any other way. Right? We are called, when, when God calls them, He bids them come and give everything up. Come and surrender. In Romans, it says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, giving everything to God. This is your true and proper worship. And, this is, and you may approve what God's will is. You may know what His will is if you give it all to Him. And the question we have to ask is, if it's for everything, well, how can I trust God's plan? how can I trust God in all of that? The reason we can trust God is because He loves us more than we love ourselves. The same way that my boy Jude and my boy Leo can trust my plan over them is because I actually love them more than they even love themselves. And probably I'm a little bit wiser. Probably know a little bit more. Much like God. I'm going to bring it home with this third third point here. God's plan will free you. God has a plan God's plan is absolute, it's for everything. And number three, God's plan will free you. In that same passage, it closes with this it says, For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world, and loses his own soul? And you could lose your soul before you die, trust me. I I think for, for, for many of us, the plan that we create for our own life and for ourselves. Uh, maybe it's bad, maybe it's good, right? Like, let's say that. But for many of us, actually, we're probably trying to create a good plan. And we're striving and we're battling, trying to accomplish this plan that we, we create for ourselves. Worse yet, maybe, maybe you've manufactured a plan that you think is God's plan. And you've built a plan on top of your life. And day to day, you're struggling and striving and trying to make it. And you can't. We can't live up to the plan that we create for ourselves. We can't live up to this false plan that we create for God. And that plan is actually, it's not helping us. It's hurting us. It's crushing us. We're constantly disappointed. We're constantly tired. We constantly feel like we're not living up to the plan that we should when the reality is that God has a plan. And his plan was that Jesus would come and live the perfect plan on our behalf, that he would live out his calling, that he would die for our sinfulness, for our inability to live up to that plan. He would rise from the dead. And true freedom comes from knowing that God has done the plan already. That you are not called to create a plan um, to meet up with to meet up with all these ideas to strive towards to build your own kingdom to save your own soul God has saved your soul before you even start before you start the plan he has come to save you do you know that God is not disappointed in you do you know that God is not disappointed in you this disapproving like I did it again failed again that's what I thought because sometimes we are bound by this we create a plan we don't live up to it we feel disappointment and we project onto God that God must also be disappointed too God's saying, I never, I didn't ask you for this. I didn't ask you to create a plan. See, I have done it for you. I have died for you. And after that, after you recognize that he has died for you, that he has accomplished his plan, that there is not another thing you need to, be do, to do to be saved, only then will we be truly free to walk in God's plan. Only will we be truly content to accept God's plan. read you this galatians 2 20 says i have been crucified with christ and i no longer live but christ lives in me the christ lives in me how can we surrender to god's plan how can we do that it's really by giving giving up giving over to god and saying, god i accept your plan I will live in your plan. Is it something that like, is it, you know, it's a one-time decision? Absolutely. But it's something that day to day we continually live out. And we continually accept God's plan. Purpose for our lives. It's the only plan that will provide true freedom. Every other plan that you could build on your, your life and will not, it will, it will, you will end up in bondage. You'll end up in disappointment. You'll end up in dissatisfaction day after day after day, grinding away. But you must know that He has done it for you. And Not only that, that He has risen from the dead and that we are partakers in that victory, in power over death, in power over sickness, in power over darkness. And then we are called to a greater calling, one worth giving our lives to. And that is God's plan. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.